may be seated, and I invite you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and as you make your way there, I just want to say, boys and girls, look at me. All the kiddos, look at me. Boys and girls, I love hearing you sing. I love it. I love it. I love hearing you sing. So keep up the good work, okay? Adults, y'all are fine. Second <laughs> uh, Timothy chapter 4, and this morning we want to look at verses 1 and 2. And The title of the message is Built on and Under the Word. And I want, to, I want us to spend a few moments this morning considering the importance of the Scriptures for the life of the church, and there are a number of passages we could have gone to, but as I thought about what it is the Lord would have us to reflect on and take away from this, uh, I, I realized something, and I want to share it with you. I have found the secret to a happy life. That's a big promise, but I think I can deliver. It just so happens, though, that the secret to a happy life is also the secret to a happy, joy-filled church. If you want a secret, joy-filled life, it's the same secret as this joy-filled, happy church. And I'm here to tell you what it is, and it's not money. Definitely not money. It's not possessions. Here's, here's the way I would characterize it. The key to happiness is alignment. Alignment. You say alignment with what? Here's what I mean. The secret to a happy life, the joy-filled life, both personally and as a church, is when we align ourselves with the Word of God. When we bring our life under its authority, under its teaching, we will experience the blessed life that our hearts really crave. If you go look at Psalm 1... How does it begin? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, right? But who does what? Walks in the law of the Lord. The beginning of Psalm 119. Blessed are those who keep your testimonies. There is a a blessedness that comes. But that's not not the only type of happiness I'm talking about. What What I really want to pinpoint is the happiness that comes in knowing that if we have aligned ourselves and our church According to the word of God, it doesn't matter one bit what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what somebody says the church ought to be, what the church ought to do, what you ought to be, what you ought to do. If you have brought your life under the teaching and the authority of Scripture and you are following it and you are practicing it, There comes a point where you realize the only thing that matters in this life is am I pleasing the Lord? There is an incredible freedom in that. And as a church, it won't matter what this church is doing or what that church is doing. You know, that church pastor that comes in on a zip line, that church, you know, they have a a baptistry shaped like a fire truck. It doesn't matter when we know that we are doing what God would have us to do. We can sleep easy. We can rest knowing that we are pleasing the one person that only really matters. And so what would God have us to do as a church? 
Last Sunday, I mentioned three areas that I wanted us to think about uh, on Harvest Day. Areas that we wanted to uh, go forward focusing on. And I mentioned these three areas for Poplar Spring. And just by way of reminder, number one was everything centered on the Word. Number two, that we would practice radical simplicity. And number three, that we would look toward the future while appreciating the past. And so over the next couple of Sundays, I want us to dive into each one of those and see exactly what we mean according to Scripture. And so this morning, we want to examine the first one of those, that everything be centered on Scripture, that everything would be grounded, built on as the foundation, the Word, but then also built under, that we would submit and surrender to the authority of Scripture. And so I want Pompler Spring, I want our church to be built on and under the Word of God for a foundation and authority. And so this morning, I think a good place for us to look at is first, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. And I want us to look at the importance of the Word of God for the church, specifically as it concerns preaching. But what I want you to see this morning is that the role that preaching plays in a church reflects the importance of the Word of God and the status of the Word of God within a church. Now, when we come to 2 Timothy, this is the last letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. And it's also very likely the last letter that he wrote in his life. If you look in verses 6 and 7, Paul says, The time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so these are Paul's, if we can put it this way, his dying words. These are the last things that he wants Timothy. As we come to the end of 2 Timothy, the last thing he wants Timothy to know. And so there's a weight there. There is a a, a heaviness to what Paul says. And I want to show you this morning how what Paul says has narrow implications and broad implications for us. And so my hope is that you leave here this morning with a better understanding of what we do here week after week, but also why we do what we do here week after week. So what Paul has to say is very important. Not only is this evident by the historical circumstances, but look at Paul's language when you get to verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul says, I solemnly charge you before God and Jesus Christ who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom. Verse 2, preach the word. So notice the audience here, first of all. It is, I charge you before God and Christ Jesus, and Christ Jesus who is going to judge in light of Timothy recognizing that he will one day give an account for how he led the church and how he led his ministry, that Jesus Christ would judge the living, of the, de- the living and the dead. And Paul says, and because of his appearance and kingdom, because Jesus came and established a kingdom, what ought Timothy to do? Build a program. Nope. Redesign the website. Nope. What does Paul say? Preach the word. You notice the language, I solemnly charge. That is one word in the Greek, and it means to exhort with extraordinary importance. This is 
This is a tone here that's not flippant. It's not casual. This is not like when we say, you know, like, oh, do you like tacos? Yes, I like tacos. Right? This is not where you're trying to figure out where to eat. You know, I'm in the mood for seafood. This is Paul saying, pay attention, Timothy. This is weighty. This is serious. So we have the tone, we have the historical circumstances, we have the audience, and we have the tone. All, that's, all, all of that indicates to us that Paul is pressing a point. He wants Timothy to pay attention to what he says, and we need to pay attention as well. Paul is placing an emphasis and an importance not just on the Word of God, but the preaching of the Word. And when we get to verse 2, there are five commands that Paul gives, but really the first command is the main one, and the other commands explain or help us understanding what help us understand what Paul is saying. What's the one command? He says, preach the word. Preach the word. Not Timothy, preach your preferences, preach your opinions, preach your politics, not your stories, not your cute illustrations. What? Preach the word. And what does Paul mean here? Paul is referring to the scriptures. He's referring to the the Old Testament and the New Testament. He is to preach the word of God. That is to be the content of his preaching. That is to be the subject of his preaching. It should be the main thing in his preaching. And every Christian, I think, should want their pastor to preach the word. And Paul tells Timothy... As the minister of the gospel, preach the word. And so my commitment to you as your lead pastor is to preach the word. Notice it's the word. Preach the word. It's a self-contained unit. This is what Paul is referring to. The Old Testament and the New Testament. We are to, as pastors, I am to preach the whole counsel of God. The Old Testament and the New Testament. The easy passages and the hard passages. And that's why... Maybe you've never thought about it, but maybe you've wondered, why does Jason go through books of the Bible? Now, I know I have it in recent months. Don't throw that at me. I know, right? But I've only been here for about nine, ten months, and, and we went through Matthew. But, but going through books of the Bible is a way to expose God's people to the whole truth, the whole counsel of God, and that's why we go through books of the Bible, Where I was ministering before we came here, we had gone through the book of Jonah, the book of Ephesians, the book of Hebrews, the book of 1 John, the book of uh, Jonah, Isaiah, Ecclesiastes. And that is, I think, a steady diet of the word of God for God's people. And that's, that's based on what Paul says, preach the word. And how is it to be preached? What is the purpose of preaching the word? Why? Why even make the effort? Well, Paul tells Timothy how to do it. If you look at verse 2, he says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. So Paul, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, Make preaching the word your habit. Make it your constant. And what does he mean by in season and out of season? Well, you can probably guess. Paul's saying, Preach the word when it's acceptable. When people like it, and then preach the word when it's unacceptable and people don't like it. Preach it when it's popular. Preach it when it's unpopular. Preach it when it's convenient. Preach it 
when it's inconvenient. Preach it when it costs you very little and preach it when it costs you a lot. Preach it, preacher, talking to myself, but, but preach it when you stand in the back and everybody, a lot of people come as a great sermon, brother, great sermon. Preach it then, but then also preach it when you get the angry emails afterwards. Preach the word in season and out of season. Preach the word. Preach it. Preach it faithfully. Be ready at a moment's notice to declare the word. So there's a, a faithfulness. There's a steadfastness. There is an unwavering commit, commitment, in other words. Paul is not telling Timothy, look, when people don't want to hear it, then you can give a little. And he's not saying when you come to a passage, when you know it's going to step on people's toes, that you just skip over it and then go preach on John 3.16 so everybody leaves feeling good. He says, preach the word in season and out of season. And then he continues to explain how and why he is to do that. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And then he gives these three descriptions In the Christian Standard Bible, it says correct, rebuke, and encourage. In the ESV, it says reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And so what Paul is saying is that Timothy is to to take the Word of God and bring it to bear on the people who are listening. The the preaching of the Word of God is not merely an academic exercise, in other words. Now, you have to learn. You have to know the truth. There are times when when I have to explain and other pastors have to explain. But we're not here to fill your head with knowledge. We're here to say, this is what God says. And if that means that this is sin and you're doing it, you need to know that what you're doing is sin. That it's wrong. That we would reprove. That we would point out what things are wrong that we would declare the truth, that we would clarify for our hearers what is sin. So we correct, and then we rebuke. Rebuke is is kind of a synonym. I I don't know that we need to draw a sharp distinction between correct and rebuke. They they really go hand in hand. But the synonym of, of reproving is rebuking, and it means to order someone not to do something or to speak or to act in a certain way. So not only... Is, is Timothy and, and any pastor to stand up and say, this is wrong. He is to speak to the people and say, if you are doing it, you need to repent. You need to stop. You need to turn to the Lord. And so if these sinful deeds are brought out into the open, the next step is for, the, the, for Timothy and for a pastor to order and encourage the, leader, the listener not to do them But notice this isn't condemnation for condemnation's sake. Because what does he say? He says, rebuke, correct, and what? Encourage. Encourage. If I stand up here and I I say, this is sin, this is wrong, it's not just to convict you, it's because I want to encourage you to flee to Christ. He's my refuge and I want to lead you to refuge. He is the one that I have to go to when I need my sins forgiven. And I want to appoint you to him when you need your sins forgiven. And so this this conviction is to be followed by comfort. So the word, as Timothy preaches the word, it exposes, it lays bare, it convicts. 
But then here's the, the good part. The same word that, that, that wounds us also binds us up. The same wound that says what you did in that sin deserves condemnation and judgment and death and separation from God. That same word says, but God has provided a way that if you trust in Christ, you can be forgiven knowing that he paid the price for you. There is a, a comfort there. Timothy is to urge them towards godliness but also to a renewed appreciation for the gospel. Now, here's the thing. The word of God we read, right, is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? When, God, when God's word goes out, it accomplishes things, right? You remember Isaiah 55, right? 10 and 11, right? My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. For as high as the heaven is above are my ways above yours and my thoughts above yours. My word does not go out without accomplishing that which I send it to do, right? God's word is powerful. God spoke and everything came to be. God's word can do great and mighty things, right? If Timothy is saying these things, Timothy might, should expect that every time he preaches, there's going to be a revival that breaks out because the word of God is so powerful, right? But what does Paul say? He says, preach the word. Be faithful, constant, rebuke, correct, encourage, and then look at this with great patience and teaching. There is, there is something about preaching and allowing the word of God to minister that it requires great patience. The word of God has to be allowed to take root and the Holy Spirit has to be allowed to work. And he tells Timothy, be constant, but be patient. The word of God will accomplish its purpose in the timing that God has decided. And so I love how Paul acknowledges for Timothy and for us that the word is powerful and necessary, but there also needs to be patience. There needs to be repeated teaching, repeated examples. I think a lot of times, sometimes for young pastors and, and frustrations for young pastors, if you know young pastors, you can encourage them. We think it... it if we preach one sermon on something, that everything will, will magically be fixed. I got to tell you, that don't happen. See? He, but he, he doesn't say, but notice, it's not change. It's not like you preached a sermon, nothing happened, so try something else. He says, preach the word, be constant, be faithful, and be patient. So when I stand up here and I preach the word, I, I pray that God uses it. But I have to understand God's going to work in the way and the timing that he wants. And so Paul places this emphasis on preaching. And he places an emphasis on preaching because preaching is based on the word of God. And so the word of God is what really is the foundation for why Paul says to preach. Because preaching is a proclamation it is a, a, a proclamation and a declaration of the word of God for the church. And this is a needed corrective, I think, for, for how sometimes preaching is viewed. Preaching, listen, preaching is not a TED talk. Preaching is not a comedy set. Preaching is not, uh, you know, you, you, sometimes you'll see preachers who basically they're about, I'd say, 30 years behind the curve. And they're trying to out Gallagher Gallagher, Right? 
Does anybody not know who Gallagher is, right? He's the guy that would smash the watermelons, you know, right? He'd have all this paraphernalia on the stage, and he's just smashing stuff and sending stuff flying, and people wearing raincoats. That's not what preaching is. It's not trying to out Gallagher Gallagher. Preaching is the proclamation of the Word of God in such a way that you leave here and say, Thus said the Lord, that I heard the Lord speak today. Preaching is to be the opening of God's word so that God's people might be confronted, convicted, and comforted by that word. Preaching is the proclamation of the good news that Christ died for sinners and saved them by his death and resurrection. And so what does this mean? If, if we take all of this and put it together, I think we need to understand that preaching is the center and the pinnacle of our worship. When you come here this morning, the most expectant part, the most anticipated part, the climax, the thing that everything rests on and builds up to and hangs on is not the music. It is the proclamation of the word of God. A lot of times we think worship is the music and then comes the preaching and then we worship a little bit more on the backside. That, that for whatever reason, we've got this preaching thing that's just kind of set in between the, the real worship. But that's not what Paul is saying, is it? He doesn't tell Timothy, sing a lot of songs. He says, preach the word. There's something about preaching that is different. And so I want to submit to you this morning that preaching is one of the most important things we do as a church, and it's the most important thing that takes place on Sunday morning. By far. So you might know, as Jason, you might say, Jason, I know sometimes you do three songs, sometimes you do four songs. Yeah, that's in order to make room for the sermon. You might say, why, why is... Uh, preaching, when we, when we select songs, they are meant to relate to the sermon, not the sermon to the songs. There's a reason for everything that we do. And so preaching is based on the importance of the Word of God. And so this morning, I want to give you, and I'm going to try to do this very quickly. I probably should have cut a song, but I'll try. Five, uh, excuse me, six characteristics of a church that's built on and under the Word of God. And we've already mentioned one of those. The first characteristic of a church that is built on and under the word of God is that preaching is the climax and the center of worship. Preaching is the central focus, that we understand its importance. And this is not just my opinion. This comes from Paul, because if you look just a few verses up, what does Paul say in chapter 3, verse 16? All scripture is inspired by God. And is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Then Paul says, because of that, preach the word. So preaching is where we get to experience scripture doing the teaching, the rebuking, the correcting, and training in righteousness. And so preaching is the climax and the center of worship. Preaching, get this, is how God speaks to you when you come to worship. 
when I stand here and I say, this is what the word of God says, if I am faithful to that text, if I am saying what scripture says, it is as if God himself is saying it to you. That's how important preaching is. So the first characteristic of a church is that preaching is understood as the climax and the most important part of worship. Number two, Sunday corporate worship is highly valued. And these are all tied together. Sunday corporate worship is highly valued. What happens here on Sunday morning is unique. It's special because the preaching of the word of God. God can speak to you and God does speak to you in your quiet time. But it's a different kind of speaking when someone is preaching the word. It's not an either or, it's a both and. But there's something unique about the preaching time. God has himself given preaching for your edification, for your growth, to speak to you through the, the fleshly lips of a, of a, a faulty, frail man. And yet that's what God has chosen to do. But here's the other thing. When we value corporate worship, here's what I want you to see. Because of the importance placed on preaching, if preaching is the pinnacle, if preaching is at the top, I want to suggest something to you. I want to suggest that you reorient the way you view your week. Okay? A lot of times we treat corporate worship as we live our week and the, whether we have a good week or not, we're, we're trying to fill ourselves up so we can empty ourselves out when we come to worship, right? Like how, how faithful was in my, in my Bible reading? How faithful was I in my obedience? How fa- and then we come on Sunday like it's the end of the week and we just unload and we say, God, this is all I've got. This is it. But let me ask you a very simple question. What is the first day of the week? It's Sunday, right? We're Christians. We celebrate the Lord's Day on a Sunday. It's the first day of the week. So now think of it this way. When you come, if preaching is at the top and it's the first day of the week, what happens the rest of the week? You're coming down the mountain. And and notice how that carries you through the rest of the week. So many times we think that, that coming to church on Sunday is we've got to ascend the mountain ourselves and then sometimes we don't make it. And so we think, well, you know, I'm not gonna, worship is not going to be the same. But if preaching, hearing from God is at, at the beginning of the week, think of it this way. You get to ride that wave all week. So instead of coming, trying to fill yourself up, And realizing just how empty you are, you come the first day of the week, you get full of scripture, you get filled by God, you get assured of his love for you, his sending his son Jesus to die for you, you get reassured of the promises of the gospel, you get filled up, you get reminded, you get excited and you're like, yes, thank you, Jesus did it all. And then you go through the rest of the week saying, you ride that wave instead of trying to make your own. Are you with me? It changes the way you view not just the whole week, but Sundays. And so it starts the week. We, we value it because that is the push that will carry us through the rest of the week. Number three, the distinction 
or, or the, the characteristic is that the Scriptures are the final authority. The Scriptures are the final authority. In his book, The Baptist Way, Distinctives of a Baptist Church, R. Stanton Norman has a list of distinctives that, that characterize Baptists. What is it distinct? What is the distinction of, of Baptist life? And the very first one he puts is biblical authority. Biblical authority. Baptists are people of the book. We believe it. We trust it. Baptists historically have been Bible-believing, Bible-practicing people. From the very beginning, the Scriptures have been the ultimate authority for all matters of faith and practice. Baptists, from the beginning, have sought to maintain a strict adherence and submission to biblical teaching. So, as believers... And as Baptists, we may, we may have some people that would say, I don't really do the, the name thing, but I'm a Baptist. We're a Baptist church. And so we hold to this importance of Scripture that it is the final authority. That we would, as believers and as Baptists, we should, we should seek and long for our church and ourselves to be brought under the authority of Scripture. And I think one of the, we can't neglect the obvious point here. They are the final authority, not just when you agree, but when you obey. If scripture comes to you and says you should do X and you don't, then the scripture is not the final authority. You are. I have found that many people don't mind what you preach. A lot of people don't care what I preach. Until we have the conversation where the expectation is made clear that we expect believers and Christians to actually obey what the scriptures teach. For some people, it's, I don't care, Jason, you can preach. I like what you say. It all sounds good. But the moment we say, so what? Now what? That's where the rub comes in. A lot of times we, we're like kids. You know, you, have your, you parents out there, you ever quoted something to your children, you're trying to teach a lesson, and then like 10 minutes later, they say it right back to you. And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, hold on, I don't have... And then, you know, you're like, wait a minute. no. If this is right, I need to do it. A church that is built on and under the word has scripture as the final authority. The fourth characteristic, very quickly, worship services are scripture soaked. We want to have as much scripture as a, of, as a part of our service as possible. Number five, Scripture regulates the what and the how. Scripture is the ruler. Scripture is the speed gauge. It's the thermometer, however you want to measure it. And this leads to what we want to talk about next week, radical simplicity in the church. But when Scripture regulates the what and the how, we might say that sounds so restricting, but really, like I said, it's the key to happiness. It's the key to freedom. 
knowing that if we are doing what God would have us to do, then we can rest easy. And so my desire is that we would all seek to build a life that is under the Word of God and built on the Word of God. A church cannot be built on the Word of God and under the Word of God when all of the, all the members refuse to do that in their own life. And so where is it in your life that you need to say, I am not building my life on the Word and under the Word? Where is it that you need to confess to the Lord and say, I had roped off this area and I had the gall to say to the Lord, no trespassing. But if we want to build a church that pleases God, that God will bless, we need to build a church that is built on the Word of God and built under the Word of God. And let me give you the last distinctive, the last characteristic, number six. A church built on the Word of God and built under the Word of God trusts the Word of God to do the building. Did you catch that? A church built on and under the Word of God trusts the Word of God to do the building. To many people, it may seem like laziness. To many people, it may seem like a lack of understanding. It may come across as being slow, but, but there is a, a moment and, a, and a, a crux at which we have to understand either we're, we're not trusting the Word of God to, to do what it does. We're not bearing with it in patience. We need to trust the Word of God to build a church on the Word of God. So I hope that as we go forward in the months and years to come, that we would all seek to implement this in our life, that we would build our life on the Word, under the Word, and that we would partner together as a church body to build a church on and under the Word. Let's pray together. Lord, it's a needed reminder for us that, that we need the Scriptures. We need it in our own life. We need it in our church life. What's beautiful about the way that Scripture works is to, to say that a, a church is built and, and on and under the Word is just another way of saying that we are built on and centered on Christ. There's no contradiction to say that we want to focus on the Word. There's no contradiction in being Word-centered, Gospel-centered, Christ-centered. It's, it's all the same. Christ is at the heart of the scriptures. All the scriptures point to him. And, and the gospel is at the center of all the scriptures because all of scriptures point to the promise of Christ's coming and then reporting that Christ came and then promising salvation in Christ. And so, Lord, at the very least, we need to leave here today trusting, God, that you in your wisdom and your goodness and your in your ways and thoughts that are so much higher than ours, God, you have given preaching and you have given the word 
to build and grow your church. And Lord, we need to trust that. Trust that regardless of of what we see and what is visible to us. And Lord, we thank you for the assurance that you have, the command that you've given that is for our good. We thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.